Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 6. And before I get into that, how many of you really appreciated Pastor Kevin's message from last week? Wasn't that amazing? If you weren't here, I encourage you to get online and listen to that. And I, I hope you're appreciating the, the beauty, too, of fivefold ministry. Uh, there's a wonderful variety in the body of Christ, and I'm grateful that we have uh, many, many folks that can get up and share and minister the Word of God, coming from all different backgrounds, perspectives, gift mixes. Um, but the message that I, I, I want to just tie in from last week into this Sunday, um, how many of you know the difference between religion and, and Christianity is all about relationship with a person named Jesus? And, uh, and so many people have been involved in religion. So many people in our culture today, if you just mentioned church, they're like, oh, I don't want to come to church, you know, because they, they had an experience or something in their mind that was all about religion, all about do's and don'ts and rituals and routines and showing up and punching your religious time clock. But there was no encounter with the living God. There was no relationship. And Paul, last week in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the whole heartbeat of that message, and I loved the way Kevin brought it out, was not to be focusing right now on looking for the person, the Antichrist, uh, that the Bible tells us will emerge in the last days. But how many of you know we're fighting the spirit of the Antichrist uh, all over? And the temptation is that our hearts will not grow cold and that we will not fall away from the Lord. How many of you have ever felt the temptation of drifting in your walk with God? Anybody besides me? Uh, that you start off great, you start off in a place where you're on fire or a place where you're close, a place where you're intimate with God. And if you don't maintain that, and that requires work and, and pursuit and everything else, if you don't maintain that, your heart begins to grow cold. And the Bible talks about a great falling away when people are going to love pleasure more than they're going to love God, when people are going to love the things of this world and, and be involved in the spirit of this world, and where their heart and their appetite for the things of God won't be there. And we're not talking about unsaved people. We're talking about believers. We're talking about people who profess Christ who start off good, but they don't finish well. I mean, you know, we, we want to finish well. Amen. We preached a we preached a whole series on finishing well. We want to finish well. And I just want to reiterate this is a kind of a practical application. It takes other people in your life to finish well. That's why we want to get you connected. That's why we want to get you serving. Because the Sunday morning thing, if you're not careful, becomes the religious ritual, the religious routine. Um, we need the people sitting around us. It's like, it's like a hot ember. You take the hot ember out and you set it by itself and it's only a matter of time before that thing goes out. But if you came in here this morning and you were struggling or you felt distant from God and you sat next to some crazy person that was worshiping Jesus with passion and fire and before about halfway through worship, you started feeling somebody like blowing on your ember, on your fire, and you started getting hot again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you come in and the first song that we're singing on Sunday, you're singing and you're singing, trying to go through the motion, trying to find the Lord. But man, by that last song, you're feeling alive again. Well, how's that happen? Well, it's because you positioned yourself amongst God's people and you got around some other folks, or maybe you heard an encouraging word about healing, and you're like, man, I need healing in my own body. And faith went into your heart, and you said, hey, if God can heal that precious lady, why could he not heal me? Amen? So this is why we need each other. And I want to encourage you that while there's going to be a great falling away, sometimes people focus on the negative aspects of Scripture. And God forbid that there's going to be a great falling away. I mean, I don't want to think about that, but how I many you know at the same time there's going to be a massive harvest? 
And there's going to be people on fire for Jesus, loving Jesus, running the race right up to the end. That's We're part of that crowd, amen? We're not part of the falling away crowd by the grace of God. We're part of the crowd that, that pursues and finishes well and receives our reward. And we're also, I believe, part of being a, a, a part of history where we're going to see a tremendous move of God. We're already seeing that in other parts of the world where people are desperate and hungry. How many of you, let's pray for that God brings back that spirit of hunger right here in our own nation uh, and that we don't have to literally go through hell uh, to, to get an awakening in this country and pray that we come to our senses before then. But go ahead, open your Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to wrap it up here today. I'm not going to cover the entire chapter, but I'm going to pick up in verse 6. And uh, go ahead and follow along with me if you have your Bibles uh, or you can look on the screen. Uh, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the command. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition that they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. He says, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us because they were serving and ministering there among them. But we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. That's a, that's a serious command, amen? Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work and earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. What a strong admonition. Don't think of them as your enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or a sister. Have you ever noticed in the Christian life, if you've been around for a while, many of the truths of the Bible have got to be kept in a point of tension. And when I speak of tension, I was joking earlier, I don't mean, you know, that you're stressed out or that you have a headache and you live your Christian life with headaches. That's not the kind of tension I'm talking about. I'm talking about the tension between truths in Scripture that have to be kept in balance. In fact, in the early church, most of the heresies that happened was when somebody took a truth and pushed it to its illogical, perverted extreme. And so how many of you know we need to live in biblical, theological balance. Now, when I say balance, that doesn't mean that our hearts are living in a place between cold and hot and we're lukewarm. That's not the kind of balance I'm talking about. But I am talking about balance that deals with keeping truths perfectly in order so that we live a straight and narrow kind of walk with God and we don't get in the ditch on one side or the other. Let me give you some examples. Let me ask you some questions. Is the Christian life all about justice or is it about mercy? Yes. How I many of you know sometimes you need justice? And, uh, and sometimes, sometimes folks need to be able to be responsible and pay for their actions. Uh, and that's a learning experience and it's a redemptive thing. But aren't you grateful for, for mercy? And sometimes a person might deserve this and along sneaks in mercy and, uh, and we give them mercy. Now, you've heard stories where parents went to their kids and they're trying to teach their kids about mercy and one one sibling was mean to the other sibling and they said, you know what, your brother, the way he treated you, that was wrong, wasn't it? Yeah. He deserves to be paddled by dad, doesn't he? 
Yes. Do you want me to paddle them or do you want me to give them mercy? Paddle them. Um, I mean, you know, you have to teach mercy because uh, siblings are after blood. All right. Make the sucker pay. That's the way most of us were raised. How about this one? Is the Christian life about truth or about grace? Yes. <laughs> How about this one? Is God sovereign and ruling over the affairs of men? Or are we free to act? Yes. How about this? Is Jesus the lion or the lamb? Yes. How about this one? This is a great one. Is Jesus fully God or is Jesus fully man? Yes. And I mean, you know, if you take either of those to their illogical extreme, you get in a ditch. My point is this. The Christian life is relatively messy. And sometimes we take a truth and we misapply it. And that's exactly what the church was doing here. You know, there's a story that was told about a couple of rednecks who are out in the woods hunting. It's kind of like Brother Rod's crowd, all right? They're out in the woods hunting. And one of them just fell to the ground all of a sudden. And he didn't seem to be breathing. His eyes rolled back in his head. And the other guy whips out his cell phone and he calls 911. And he frantically tells the operator, he says, Bubba's dead! Bubba's dead! What can I do? He's freaking out because Bubba's on the ground. He's not moving. The operator in a calm and soothing voice, as 911 operators are trained to be, said, just take it easy. I can help. He said, first, let's make sure that he's dead. All of a sudden, there's silence on the other end. A shot is heard. The guy's voice comes back online and says, okay, now what? How many of you know that's taking a truth and really misapplying it, all right? Sometimes we hear something from the Word of God and our minds run with it and we completely misapply it. How many of you know when Paul was preaching the message of grace and justification by grace, there were many in the church who took that message and said, great, if God wants to pour out His grace to cover sin, then let me be the biggest sinner possible and then God will have to pour out His grace and then He'll get more glory. How many of you know that's just like shooting Bubba in the head right there, right? That is stupid. And Paul said, no, that's not what grace means. Grace doesn't give you the ability and the license to sin. Grace gives you the freedom to not have to live that way any longer and to be forgiven. Amen? So we don't want to shoot Bubba with our bad interpretation of Scripture. But that's exactly what the Thessalonians were doing here. Because they were taking the second coming and the good news that Christ was going to return. And they were using it as a license for laziness or for idleness. Take a look at the presenting problem here in verse 11. Paul says, we hear that some of you are living idle lives. You're refusing to work and you're meddling in other people's business. In other words, Christ was going to return, but the wrong application is basically stop what you're doing. And I want you to hear this loudly and clearly that this is one of those tension points. We're supposed to be living with an eager expectation of Christ's return. Amen? And if we understand heaven and we understand the age to come, and what is to, to, to whatever degree that we can, obviously we're looking through a glass darkly, but Scripture gives us much, much insight about what's coming. We should be excited about that. But the fault is to put on the brakes and to lose your sense of long-term vision Because somehow you think long-term vision is a lack of faith that you think Jesus isn't coming soon. Those are two tension points that need to be held perfectly in hand. Because I'll just tell you this. If you believe that Jesus is coming in your lifetime, which which is a good thing to believe, uh, 
there will be many things that you might not encounter doing. For instance, you might not start a long-term building project. You might not birth a new ministry. You might not save up for a rainy day, so to speak. Uh, there might be all kinds of connections that you make because you're anticipating his return. And I'm just telling you, let's do both, like grace and truth and the other tension points here. Let's live with an excitement that Christ could come in our lifetime. But here's the second point. Let's work like crazy like he might not. And that we're going to leave a legacy to our kids and to their kids and future generations who may be here laboring in a world that we're going to leave them. So let's work very, very hard and not be like the Thessalonians here. Now, here's what, here's a funny situation. Some of you think, Pastor, didn't we already have a sermon that dealt with this topic? Yes, we did. In fact, Paul talked about this in his first letter. Flip over to First Philippians, or First Thessalonians, rather, uh, chapter four, verses eleven and twelve. Paul said this. Some of you will remember this because we preached on it. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live, and you will not need to depend on others. So here's my pastoral question. If Paul already talked about that in 1 Thessalonians, why is he talking about it again in 2 Thessalonians? Because they didn't listen. Imagine that. Church people that don't listen. This is crazy. But it happened. It was true. I know we don't deal with this today, but it happened. Now, I heard a pastor one time that preached on John 3.16. For God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten son. He preached on the love of God, the love of God, and how we should love one another. And he preached on it one week and two weeks and three weeks and four weeks and five weeks and 10 weeks and 20 weeks. And finally, one of the weary parishioners came up after the service and said, Pastor, this series is really, really good. But do you know you've been preaching on the same verse now for a really long time? And the pastor said, yeah, and as soon as we get it and start practicing, I'm going to stop. So guess what? Paul's doing that right here. He says, I told you guys before, stop being idle. But guess what? Some folks were not listening very well. And I want you to see what Paul does here. He pulls out his apostolic authority card. How many of you know there is legitimate spiritual authority in the church? And when leadership encourages us or challenges us and speaks the word of the Lord, there's a sense of real legitimate authority that we need to hear and we need to obey. Can I get an amen on that? In fact, Paul talked about that earlier in one of his uh, chapters, too. We didn't get to that part, but we can't cover it all. But he talked about honoring a, a legitimate authority, honoring the authority of the word of God. And so Paul says here in verse 6, he uses a strong word. He says, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command. Everybody say command. Command is not a suggestion. Paul just turned it up a notch. He said, this is serious. I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says, because I just want to tell you, The Bible is very offensive to religious people today. It probably was years ago, but I'm telling you, we're living in America today where the Bible is very offensive to people. And and I'm going to give you an opportunity to be offended right now. Don't be, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. Listen to what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition. In other words, the body of sound teaching and doctrine that they receive from us. He's not talking about unsaved people. He's talking about people within the church that are living disobedient, idle lives and causing discord among the body. Paul says, stay away from them. That sounds so unchristian. It sounds so unkind. It sounds so unmerciful. But it actually is very merciful. Because there's a place in our lives. How many of you have figured this out? After you've received the word of the Lord, 
it's important to do something with it. I don't know if how many of you remember, but when Alan Vincent was preaching here, and remember the scene where he, I was standing right over there and he threw me a football and I caught it. And then this 70-year-old man sprinted over and jumped on top of me and body slammed me to the floor. And everybody went, ah, yeah. And I got up, I was shocked. And he said, he said this, why in the world would I throw you the ball if you're not going to run with it? He says, why would God speak to a believer and you hear the word of the Lord and you don't run with the ball? So guess what? He got back up. He threw me another pass. I sprinted to the back of the sanctuary. I was not going to let a 70-year-old man body slam me to the ground twice in a row. I wanted to be a quick learner. But have you ever had situations where you're ministering to people and you give them the word of the Lord or you give them some help and then they come back a week later to your life group or to your marriage class or to whatever other ministry and say, hey, how'd your week go? Oh, it was terrible. Did you do what you were asked to do? Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did I, do I need to speak louder? Uh, body slam. Body slam. Ah, yeah. In, in, in the spirit, you want to, at that point, jump on them with a headlock and throw them to the ground. No, how many know we have grace? This is one of those grace and truth things, right? How often do you forgive? Jesus said 70 times 7. How, how long do you persevere with people? As long as it takes. How often do you jump in a ditch and pull somebody out? As often as you have to jump in the ditch. But listen, there's also the balance that says this. Come back when you've done what you've been instructed by the Lord to do. I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. But are you for you? And do you love you? And are you with you? Because I can't love you for you. You have to do something. Make sense? So so there's been counsel that said, look, we spent lots of hours, lots of time, lots of hugs, lots of prayers. But you know what? Come back when? And in the meantime, it's not that I don't love you, but when you call me on my cell phone, I probably won't be answering. Why? Why is that, Pastor? Are you being mean? No, I'm doing that right there. Stay away, because listen, it also works for this. We're not talking about unsaved people. We're talking about people that say, oh, I love Jesus. I'm a Jesus lover, right? I'm a Jesus lover. Great. That's what we're all, that's what, that's what unites us all together. If we're all Jesus lovers, then let's start moving towards Christ's likeness. That doesn't mean we don't fall. It doesn't mean we don't need to be patient with one another. But it means we're moving somewhere. Paul uses this word command, and it is a military term. It's a word used by a commanding officer to to a troop, to the troops. And basically when a commanding officer tells you to do something, come on, military men and women, what do you do when a commanding officer gives you a command? Your job is to obey it. You don't look for, you know, hey, could you, you know, what's on your heart right now? Why did you share that? No, there's no time for that. When, when there's a command, you say, yes, sir, right, or whatever. You You act on the command. Paul's using the language of, of warfare here because guess what? We're in warfare. I didn't have time to get into the, to the earlier verses, first five verses of this chapter, but Paul has a prayer request. He says, please pray for me that the word of God would spread rapidly and that God would protect me from evil people who hate the message. I mean, you know, that's warfare. 
hey, pray for me. People are trying to kill me for preaching the gospel. Now, we're not dealing with it at that level yet in America. How many of you know there's Christians all over the world that are? And they don't have to be reminded that this, that this is warfare. But this is warfare. And Paul says, this is serious, church, how we walk and how we live. So he's commanding them because the members there were guilty. The word in the Greek literally means disorderly conduct. They were out of order. They were out of rank. They were truant. They were failing to report for duty. Now, I just want to drive this home again. How many of you know, when it's taught, when the Bible's talking about not being idle, obviously the main application, the most direct application is, hey, be someone that works hard, provide for your family, um, you know, get up in the morning, do what you need to do to, to provide so that God blesses you with more than enough. But the other application that's very uh, easy to apply here is, you know what, when it comes to your walk with God and to your service for God's people, don't be idle. Every single one of you in this place has been blessed with gifts and abilities by God. Amen? I just had a great discussion with Jonathan in the car on this. We were talking about his, his uh, pursuit of academic excellence. Right? Weren't we talking about that? Yes, we were. All right. I said, look, son, you've been given a bright mind. Your mother passed that down to you. She's sharp. We have a bright mind. I said, it is your responsibility to use the gifts of God. Why? Why should you work hard in your studies, right? And John said, thought for a moment, he said, well, for myself, right, Mr. Beth, for myself. I mean, if you work hard for yourself, it's certainly better than not working hard for yourself. But I said, no, you don't just study for yourself to be the better version of you. You do everything that we do for the glory of God. So your studies, I said, hey, Johnny, you're pretty fast. How come you're fast? It's because of your dad's blazing speed? No. You're fast. Check this out. You're fast because God made you to run. Luke, you were fast. Just nod your head. I know it's the truth. You were like, why was Luke fast? I mean, you know, some people are born fast and some are not. How many of you, I watch these people up here playing every kind of instrument, singing every kind of song. Did not get that at all. All right. My kids laugh at me when I try to sing on stage. Imagine they mock their father when I'm making a joyful noise back there. They mock me. Here's my point. Everything that you have, you got from a gift. Your job is to steward it. And listen, when you don't steward it and you're idle, you're idle. You're not putting your hand to the plow. You're not doing anything. That word in the Greek means someone who's walking around in a circle, not accomplishing anything. Have any of you ever been there? I know I have. There's times in my life I wonder, okay, where am I going again and what am I doing? That's why the message of First and Second Thessalonians of the second coming is to bring into focus the end so that we can live right now. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things we're doing now that aren't that important. There's a lot of things we're doing now that in the scope of eternity, we might be able to reorganize some priorities. So I'm just giving you a pastoral plea this morning to get involved, get involved with people, get involved in ministries, get involved serving, because it's important. I grew up with a father, who we'd go on vacation, and after like day number two or three, I mean, he's he's ready to get back in the saddle. Am I talking, to, telling the truth? Mom, I mean, he's ready. He's like, hey, we can't have too much vacation. You know what I'm talking about? Now, there's a good side and a bad side to that. How I many of you know you all need vacations? And I want to encourage you all, take a vacation, get refreshed. But how many of you know if we take too much vacation, you lose your edge? And if you take a vacation from the things of God, you really lose your edge. Just ask King David, right? When everybody's out fighting and he's on his hilltop checking out the babe that he shouldn't have been looking at. 
His entire ministry went the wrong direction after that because he was idle. Being idle is not a good thing. Have you ever heard your folks talk to you about about being idle? In fact, let's go to the next part. I want to talk about what's the big deal? Why is God talking in two different epistles about hard work? What's the big deal about hard work? It seems like there's more exciting things that he could be talking about. Remember chapter 2 is talking about the second coming. I mean, stuff you can make a motion picture about. And then you get to chapter 3 and he's telling you, work hard. It sounds so anticlimactic. So why is God talking about working hard? Look, at he's not talking about people unable to work physically or whatever reason. He's talking about people unwilling to work. Verse 10 says, while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. We're dealing with a heart problem here. We're dealing with a rebellion problem here. And let me give you a couple of reasons why I believe work is such a big deal to God. Number one, how many of you know idleness is often an open door to sin? When you have too much time on your hands, we start being pulled back to maybe some of the things that used to have a hold of us in the past. I love what the Jewish folks used to say about this. A Jewish rabbis teach, he who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. He who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. Or how about this good old American wisdom? Idleness is the devil's workshop. Why is it the devil's workshop? Because you were made to create. You were made to work hard. In fact, I'll say to the men in here, it's been said that, you know, semis, when when they don't carry a load, are harder to drive than a semi that's well loaded down with weight. Guess what? We were made as men to be loaded down with weight and responsibility. I don't mean loaded down to where we're under it, but I mean we're made to assume responsibility. We're made to carry a load. And men that carry a load are men that drive straight. They're men that have better control of their life versus men who are not carrying a load or not responsible. That's why I just want to throw this in a little extra. But um, if you are given an opportunity for promotion, I've heard guys say this over the course of my pastoring so many times. Hey, man, they asked me to take such and such job at work. Great. Um, But you know what? I don't want the hassle. I don't want the hassle. You know what you're saying? I just want to take the job I have now. It's easier. It doesn't have the headache. Maybe God's asking you to shoulder more weight because he's going to grow you and raise you a position of influence where you can touch more people and be used by him. But you're being idle. If you're staying in the place of comfortability, you're staying in the place of being idle. In fact, an engine that idles, right? It's not going anywhere. Put it in gear. Let God put some weight on your life and take responsibility for not only your own life, but for others and see how you begin to grow. Paul warned the church there in uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He said this in verse 13. He said, there's people who spend their time gossiping. They go from house to house. They meddle in other people's business, and they talk about things that shouldn't. You heard me say over and over again that when people are fruitful, when people are busy, they don't have time to be a critic. Most churches, the, 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 the biggest place where people serve in the church is chief critic. Yeah, I serve at my church. I've been, I've been serving for 30 years. Oh, really? What do you do? I'm the chief critic. I analyze everything that's going wrong every week. I just want to tell you, we don't have any positions open in this church for that role. And let me tell you, let me tell you, the only people that have room to be critical are people with too much time on their hands. There's a secret to why I never criticize my lovely wife. We had too many babies and too much work. 
And I shared this morning, even when I got a call from our church secretary that one of my eight kids was naked and roaming in the parking lot. I'm a happy man that there wasn't two or three more, all right? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? One out of eight, that ain't bad. I'll take that. I'll take that. Don't be critical. Don't be critical. So, I, you know, you're trying to raise eight kids. You're grateful for any help that you can get. Are you kidding me? You're grateful for any help you can get. Guess what? When you jump into a ministry and you start serving, you know what happens? You're not saying, well, you know, I wonder what that pastor meant by that. Hmm. No, you know what? Because you're trying to minister to somebody else and you're trying to pull out of the reservoir of your heart and your mind and you're going, oh man, I should have listened better. What was that? Where, that? Where was that verse? And guess what happens? You have an increased appetite to learn and grow. Are you, and guess what? Listen, this is an amazing secret. Growing people are happy people. Why does God say don't be idle? He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be moving, growing, creating. That's the purpose of the body of Christ. Secondly, and this is important, hear this. What's the big deal about work? God calls us and uses, or God calls rather and uses people who are busy to do the work. This is amazing. How many of you have ever figured out if you're running a business or running a ministry or running whatever and you need help, a lot of times you think, who, who could we get to do that? And many times the people that pop into your mind are people that are already incredibly busy. Am I telling the truth? And, and then you start going, wait a minute, well, I can't ask them. They are too busy. But actually, they're the very people you should ask because they've managed to shoulder weight and responsibility and to lead. And so here, check this out. Moses was caring for sheep when God called him. Gideon was busy threshing wheat. Saul was busy searching for his father's lost beasts. David was caring for his father's sheep. Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Nehemiah was busy bearing the king's wine cup. Amos was busy following the flock and raising sycamore fruit. Peter and John were busy casting a net into the sea. James and John were busy... I'm sorry, Peter and Andrew were casting the net. James and John were busy mending the nets. Matthew was busy collecting customs. Saul was busy persecuting the friends of Jesus. And Paul, in this passage right here, was a tent maker. He said, I'm setting an example for you, even though you could have given me free stuff, and I certainly was worth it. My ministry to you is worth it. I'm setting an example for how I want you to be. Paul was making tents. Here's my question. All those people were doing incredibly unspiritual things. Didn't say any of them were hidden in the prayer closet for six months straight and then God called them. Not that there's anything the matter with prayer closets. Please don't misunderstand me. But my point is it seems so unspectacular that everything that they were doing here was like their job. It was like going to work. It was like laboring. And how many of you know work is very spiritual to the Lord? Like when we get up and we do things, we serve, we work hard. God really likes that. In fact, he, he uses that many times as a template for a greater call into his ministry. He says, you know, if you can't be, if you can't handle the natural stuff very well, how can you handle the spiritual stuff, right? So when a man learns to get up and be faithful and to work and to serve and provide, he's a candidate for promotion in kingdom things. You hear what I'm saying? If he can be faithful and work hard and put in a faithful day's work and work with a spirit of excellence and really work to be faithful in another man's area in a natural arena, then he sets himself up for spiritual promotion. This is incredible. 
So all these people, not a one of them was doing anything spiritual. In fact, Paul, Paul was, or Saul before he became Paul, he was out killing Christians when God called him. But guess what? He was busy. <laughs> I mean, that says something. He's like, hey, if this guy can kill Christians and work, work that hard, think of what he could do if he's in the kingdom. Somehow I'm being a little funny with that one. But anyway, you get the point. When we're busy about our father's business, it's amazing what God can call us to do. Let me end with this, an admonition. Paul says, don't get weary, weary in doing what's right. He says, stay away, identify, mark those people who are not listening and who are not working. And here's the connection between the two. I want us to create an atmosphere here of supernatural generosity where when you're touched with a need and God ministers to you, in fact, I shared it, I believe it was a couple Sundays ago, but when the couple was here from Laos, or Cambodia rather, and we saw the opportunity they had to train uh, young people and that they needed instruments. I can't tell you how many of you responded to the Holy Spirit's nudging and inundated them, you know, put checks in their hand, cash in their hand. They were blown away. They're going back to purchase now. I don't know how many instruments, but they're going to be purchasing instruments, and we will hear of young people that are being touched by that. We heard of a man in the Celebrate Recovery or the, or the recovery ministry in Russia uh, he had used drugs for much of his life. It damaged all of his teeth. Uh, great guy, loves Jesus, just didn't have any teeth. So what happened? We, someone got nudged by the Holy Spirit. We said, can we take up an offering and buy that guy teeth? Well, we did. We bought him teeth. We didn't send teeth. We sent money. But he got, I, I asked for Coralie for a report. I said, hey, how's the guy that had no teeth? Send me a picture. I want to see his pearly whites. I want to show you. Um, I mean, you know, that's cool stuff when a guy's laboring and serving and he's doing it toothless, but all of a sudden God touches people on the other side of the world and now he gets to smile with teeth and minister. I mean, he didn't need the teeth, but we blessed him with teeth and I'm sure he's grateful for it. I want to create an atmosphere. I said, I want the Holy Spirit to create an atmosphere where he's God and he does what he wants to do, but part of what he does is he blesses people. But listen, if people in the church are like a constant black hole that's a constant sucking sound, every time you go around them, if people in your life group are constantly, I'm having another crisis and they're sharing it for a prayer request, but really they got the offering plate in their back pocket. They're looking to pass it around for you to give them a love offering. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, sucking sound. What happens is people start to run from you. And what happens is we get we get to where we don't want to give because there's this bad taste in our mouth that, you know what, I already gave to that and nothing has changed. Is this making sense? Don't be one of those kinds of people. In fact, I share, there was a, there was a friend of mine who's been in this church for many, many years. I've seen God do some great healing uh, over time. But there was a season when he would call. I wasn't picking up the phone. When he would want time one-on-one, I wasn't making time one-on-one. Was I being mean to him? No, I told him why. I said, you never listen to anything I've ever asked you to do. You're wasting my time. Pastor, that sounds so non-pastoral. No, that's very pastoral. I just read you the Bible. Stay away from those people. It's not talking about disowning them. It's not talking about treating them like they're not saved, but it's saying this. There comes a point where you say, buddy, the ball's in your court. Dribble it, run with it, score, do something. But the ball's in your court because what happens is you can grow weary in doing good to people like that. Paul said, hey, guys, don't grow weary. Don't stop growing weary. Keep it up. Keep doing good works. But then he also said, hey, let's have some, this would be a great message for, a great topic for this message. 
How about this? Sometimes the church needs some tough love. And listen, in light of his second coming, here's the message. Let's work hard. Let's be found laboring. Let's be found giving. Let's be, let's be found investing in other people. Let's dream big. Let's build things. Let's break out left, break out to the right, touch more people, go to more, plant more roar schools. In other words, let's work hard until Christ returns. Final comment. Chris, you inspired me on the front row here with intercession. How many of you know we all need to spend time in the prayer closet, period? Pastor Dick's message, we can do nothing apart from the Lord. It all starts with intimacy with God. And we've had some amazing young people in the go through the roar that, man, they have passionate hearts for God. And some of them legitimately, as they said, Pastor, what if we just want to stay in the prayer closet and stay in the place of intimacy and we don't want to do anything else? We just want to do that. Is that okay? No. Let me tell you why. Because we still live on a fallen planet where people are waiting to hear the gospel. And people have to be reached. Now listen, you'll never reach people very well if you don't fall in love with Jesus and ask that question. That question was a great question. That question says, you know what? I love his presence so much. I love being with Jesus so much. Can I just stay here? I don't want to go out and do all that. I don't have a vision. I don't want to build anything. I don't want to touch anybody. I just want to stay right in here in the prayer closet. I think that that attitude pleases the heart of Jesus. You with me? But I also think Jesus would say this. You know what? That's what heaven's going to be like on steroids, what you just experienced. So you know what? Let's get up. Let's take the gifting and the anointing that you received from, and the love for God, love for people that you've cultivated in my presence and go do something with it. Go do something with it. How many of you heard that Matthew Ward song, Just Do Something, right? You got to do something. He's lamenting in the song. There's people here. Kids are dying. There's people starving. There's ISIS. There's all this kind of stuff. God, why don't you do something? And the song says, I did. I created you. (laughs) That's the thought. That the very things that burden our heart, that burden God's heart, maybe we were created to be part of the solution. So, man, spend time. let's spend time with Jesus this week. Keep our hearts on fire. But listen to what he's saying, and then let's go do what he's asking us to do. And don't be idle, because your king is coming. Our king is coming. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Yes. Father God, we thank you for that glorious vision that you've put before us. God, you're so big and... and uh, and out there, awesome, you give us a picture of the, the clouds splitting open and you coming with angels and trumpets blasting and fire and everything else. It's just incredible. And then you end this amazing epistle by telling us to work hard. It just, the two, talk about tension. The two hardly seem to go together. But Lord, I know that it's an admonition in a very practical way that we're to be busy with your business until you come. So, Lord, we all choose this morning to hear the word of the Lord. We hear, we hear the command of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And, Lord, help us to find people to touch, things to do that are godly, things that bless people, to work hard, to have a spirit of excellence on our life. And, Lord, to be putting into practice the things that you've instructed us. Lord, I ask you to bless our church family as we leave here today. Really, the church is leaving. We're going out to our mission field now. We pray that you use us mightily this week to spread the great news that our King is coming. And Lord, we thank you for First and Second Thessalonians and for the great truth 
that's been in there. Lord, may it impact us. May it change our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen.